0: You by Superchicks. Chicks. With locations in American Fork, Spanish Fork, St. George, and coming soon to Riverton, they are ready to provide you with the last true chicken sandwich. Give them a chance and you won't be disappointed. Superchicks.com, and remember that's superchicks with an X.com. On this episode, we will recap the Running Utes loss to BYU. We'll take a spin around the Pac 12 MTE results. And we will preview the Pac-12 opener against USC on Wednesday and much more. All right, let's get right to it. Utah fell on Saturday night to BYU 75-64. Brandon Carlson led the way for the Utes with 17 points and six boards. Raleigh Wooster added 13 points, five assists, and six rebounds to his stat line. And he also drew the defensive assignment of guarding Alex Barcelo on Saturday night. Lazar Stefanovic continues to add value to this team. He had 12 points off the bench and is going to continue to be leaned on as long as injuries continue to be a factor. On the other side, Tejan Lucas led the way for the Cougars with 18 points on 8 of 10 shooting. Alex Barcelo had 17 points with 11 of those coming at the line. He was 3 of 7 from the field and 0 and 2 from 3-point land. Gavin Baxter caused the Utes problems inside with 14 points, and Caleb Lohner added 10 points and 12 boards, but was just 4 of 10 from the field. So the two storylines... Going into and coming out of this game for the running Utes were rebounding and injuries. Going into the game, Marco Anthony and Gabe Madsen were both out for this game, and Boston Holt had been lost the previous week for the season. So the Utes were down a few guys going in, and then they lost to Sean very early in the game on a free play, and it looked like a knee injury. Now, we don't know anything yet as of this recording. We may hear something from Craig Smith, but... It did not look good in real time, and Deshaun was on crutches after the game, which really puts a damper on just about any sort of positive feeling that you could have coming out of this game. Nevertheless, let's get into the things that I liked. Really like the fast start. You know, we talked about this on the episodes leading up to the Sunshine Slam. Utah could not afford to have the slow starts that it had against lesser competition against this you know, better BYU team and USC and on down the road, and they really didn't. They jumped out to a 7-0 start and really had BYU on their heels to start the game. Raleigh Rooster, what can we say about Raleigh Rooster? He is a dude, he is a player. He can play at this level, period. He drew a tough assignment with Alex Barcelo and really locked him down for a good portion of the game. Barcelo only had three made field goals for the entire game and just won in the first half. Really loved the way this team defended in the first half in general. They made things tough for BYU. They forced a lot of bad shots, and they had the lead at the half. Really loved the fight of this team. They came into this game as an underdog and really took it to BYU for a good portion of the game. And even when they lost the lead, BYU never really put them away. It was a six-point game with one seventeen to go. So despite what the opposition may lead you to believe, this was a battle, and it was a battle all the way till the end. Now what does that mean? I don't know. Hang a banner, whatever. But it was a battle. Brandon Carlson continues to elevate his game. Came right out, nailed that shot from, what, the free throw line, the elbow. Had some really nice plays, including that follow-up slam. Added three more blocks to his career total to move to 97 all-time. Sean Green's place in the top 10 is, at best, tenuous at the moment. Laser continues to be someone who is earning playing time. I like the spark he brings off the bench, and I like how crafty he is. Watching him over the summer, I really didn't know what to expect, but it's clear that he can play, and the fact that he never wavered on his commitment, despite the coaching change and the fact that he's come in right away to become a contributor, should make him an early fan favorite, and with these injuries, we're going to see a lot more of Lazer Stefanovic. And finally, this probably falls under the category of loving the fight, but there's no quit in this team. They're down four players, including two of their top rebounders and one of their veteran leaders, and this team never quit. We talked about this one going in as a measuring stick type game, and outside of the depth issues that the injuries created, I walked away from this game very encouraged about the team we have. Obviously, there are some glaring issues. There are some things that need to be corrected. There are some things that need to be fixed. But this team is going to guard you, and they're going to defend, and it's, and it's no longer a theory, right? It's no longer a, well, this is what Craig Smith teams do. No, we've got six games now. We've got a six-game sample size to say that this is the personality Of this team. They're going to guard you. They're going to defend you. They're going to be tough. They're not going to quit. They're going to hang in there. And you have to love that as a fan who has been really dying for that in recent years. Now to the list of things I didn't like. Well, obviously, the the injury to Deshaun really puts a damper on this whole game, period. Uh, It looked pretty nasty in real time. Reports were that he was on crutches after the game Hopefully it's not season-ending, but we just don't know anything. And, you know, the U's not going to say anything. Everything's a state secret up there. But very, very tough to watch that happen. Very freakish kind of play. Got his leg wrapped around uh, Trajore's leg for BYU. Really weird play. But the injury happened, and they've got to now adjust to life without Dushan for at least some period of time. Rebounding. That's been the story all season long. Utah came into this game 12th in the nation in rebounding and walked out of the game having been out-rebounded 45 to 28. I talked about this with Jeremy Olson. I talked about this with Cody Fuger. I talked about this in my game notes. So obviously it was a big emphasis and they came out and really worked for the rebounds. BYU did, I mean. I mentioned that their players played bigger than their size. They're 266 guys combined for 11 boards. Loner had 12. So again, rebounding just wasn't great in this game. But I think it was a good example to the Utah players. You can play with effort. You can guard. You can defend. But rebounding is a whole different animal at this level. And it's and it requires a little bit more than just making sure that you're in the right position. That's a lot of it. But some of it's want to. Some of it's fight for the ball all of that stuff, so rebounding, obviously a big storyline coming out of this game. Outside of laser, we did not get much from the bench. Now, obviously not having Marco in the starting lineup thrusts Booth Gotch into the lineup, and that takes one bench player away. Dushawn getting hurt takes out another bench play, but these guys need to be productive when they come in and come off the bench. David Jenkins really struggled in this game. He didn't score until 8.07 left in the game. He's a guy that Utah is going to have to have as a primary scorer as they get into Pac 12 play. And it should be mentioned that Booth Gotch struggled a bit as well. So, you know, you've got this backcourt of Booth Gotch and David Jenkins, and combined, they just didn't give you a lot in this game, and those are two of the guys that you really, really need against a team like BYU that's going to make you work for the points. As a team, they only had 10 assists, and they only turned BYU over over seven times. Now, look, BYU is a good team. They've got good players. They've got disciplined players, but only seven turnovers. You've got to try to find a way to force more turnovers and really limit their second chance opportunities and things like that. They gave up a ton of easy baskets in the second half, especially to Tejon Lucas and Gavin Baxter. They really struggled on that pick-and-roll defense. They didn't seem ready on defense at times, and BYU just kept coming at them and just kept coming at them. You know, look, a lot of this goes back to injuries and depth, so I'm not going to be too hard on them, but still, it's just a lot of easy baskets, a lot of guys getting lost, and I know that Craig won't love that when he watches the tape. Now, I fully admit this is petty, but I didn't like the national media takes on this game. It's pretty clear that they looked at the box score and saw that BYU won by 11 and moved on, which that's what happens when you have a terrible TV deal and nobody is fighting for a better channel for this game. But it was the last weekend of college football, you say. Great. Play it on a different date. Even if they had played it at 8 p.m. after the Colorado game on Friday, that would have been better. I... You know, I talked to Josh Newman about this a little bit on the side, and you know, there may have not been a great place to put this game. But look, if you're Mark Harlan and this is your number one priority, which I think we all know that scheduling the BYU game in football and basketball is Mark Harlan's number one priority. He seems to have given us enough evidence over the years that it is. Then you've got to find the optimal opportunity for this home game to be played. And it can't just be you know, the Saturday after Thanksgiving or, you know, whatever. You find the best date for this game to give you the best home crowd, the best chance of selling tickets because we know that's important and the best opportunity to really have an atmosphere and really have an environment that's going to make things difficult on your opponent. And so I digress a little bit there. But it was very clear from the tweets from guys like John Rothstein and Jeff Goodman and some of the others that they just didn't watch this game. All they saw was the final score. BYU gets another win by 11. And they're off and running in their praise of the Cougars, which, look, that's a good basketball team. I'm not trying to take anything away from them. But, again, you have this, you know, convergence of problems. Weird day, bad TV deal leads to putting it on a channel that not everybody gets. And so you're forcing these experts, rather than watching the game and saying, oh, man, this Utah team is tough. They were down, you know, four players, this, that, and the other. What you're doing is you're forcing these guys to just look at the box score and say, oh, well, BYU won by 11. Never mind the fact that it was a six-point game with a minute to go. So, and then the empty red seats. And my understanding is, is there are quite a few seats that belong to season ticket holders or that have already been sold, that are not being used and as I tweeted out the other night the status of those tickets should probably be reevaluated by the athletic department or something. Now I know it's not that easy. That's easier said than done and all the athletic department really cares about is butts in the seats. Doesn't matter if they're Utah fans or BYU fans, but as you saw last night, the potential that ha- that place has and we've all been a part of games where it's been full, but the potential that the Huntsman Center has when it's even quasi-full, I don't know. I'd love to see a clear and obvious investment it by the athletic department in basketball, and we just haven't seen that. If it means bringing in guys like Eric Weddle to sit courtside, do it. Seriously. A new dignitary for every game. I don't care. Do something That's going to make people want to come and see this team play while they're getting to know Craig Smith and while they're getting to know this roster. So currently, uh, these two teams are now slated to play in 2022 in Provo and 2023 in Salt Lake. I'm sure that will be extended because it's the one game that Harlan cares about, as I mentioned. And look, I've become convinced that it's important to play too. I, I wasn't always there, but given that it's one of your bigger revenue generators of the year. You just, like I said, you got to make sure that that date is advantageous for you more so than your opponent. So just a thought. Let's not necessarily try to accommodate those guys all the time. I think that's it for things I didn't like. Uh, Big pitcher, like I said, I think they acquitted themselves really well against the top 25 Ken Palm team. That's a Q1 loss for them, and it's a Q1 win for BYU. So despite all of their bluster right now, which is what you earn, When you win the game, this is a game that they're going to look back on when it comes to time to figuring out their tournament seeding, and they're going to point to this win at Utah as an important win on their resume. And as I also tweeted out, this is not a loss that hurts Utah. It's just an annoying loss to your rival. In terms of what this means moving forward, you've got a plan for no Deshaun for a while, maybe for the remainder of the season. And with Marco Anthony posting pictures of himself in a boot you got to think that his return is in question as well. So what does that mean? What it means is that guys like Lahat and Jackson Brenchley and probably Eli Ballstadt have got to play productive minutes off the bench for the running Utes. These are guys that stayed and bought into Craig Smith's system. It's time to prove that you belong at this level. I don't want to see any preseason Gata Award winners not out there contributing to this team right? It's time to show that you can play at this level. You're going to get the minutes. This team has a depth issue. We're not going to go six deep. You've got to show that you belong at this level, period. One more quick thing from the game. A couple of the recruits were in the house. Thanks to Josh Newman for helping me with this piece of it. Bron Roberts, a 6'10 power forward out of Orem who's got offers from Stanford and Southern Utah, and Brody Kozlowski, who's a 6'7", small forward from Corner Canyon. He's a 2024 kid, and I believe he holds offers from Eastern Washington and Idaho State at the moment. They were at the game. All right, when I come back, I will let you know how the other Pac-12 teams did in their MTEs, and we'll preview Wednesday's game against USC right after these words from one of our sponsors. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about registered physical therapists, RPT Utah. These guys are committed to getting you back to work and play Fast, Their skilled physical therapists offer a wide variety of services, including surgical and non-surgical orthopedic injuries, spine injuries, headache relief, balance training, and women's health. With nine locations along the Wasatch Front, they've got your physical therapy needs covered. Go to their website to schedule an appointment today, rptutah.com. That's rptutah.com. All right, let's talk MTEs, and the Pac-12 has three MTE champions. Utah, as you know, won the Sunshine Slam beating Tulsa in that finale. Arizona won the Roman main event in Las Vegas beating Michigan in the finale. They now open their conference play this week against Washington at home and at Oregon State. USC won the Wooden Legacy event beating San Diego State in the finale. So they'll host the Utes on Wednesday and then they head to Washington State. More on the Trojans later. Arizona State went 0-3 in the battle for Atlantis, losing to Baylor, Syracuse, and Loyola Chicago. The Sun Devils are now 2-5 on the season, and they begin conference play with Washington State at home, and then they're heading off to Oregon. Cal went 0-2 in the Fort Myers tip-off, losing to Florida and Seton Hall. They gave Seton Hall a game, and they're playing better but they still lost in the end. They just beat Fresno State on Sunday night at home to get to three and four. They now host Oregon State, and then they play the Utes on the road. Colorado went two and one in the Paradise Jam. They lost their opener to Southern Illinois. And so they moved into the losers bracket, where they beat Duquesne and Brown. That got them to five and one on the year, and then they opened up Pac-12 play on Sunday night with a win over Stanford they now head to UCLA for the second of their two early Pac-12 games. Oregon went one and two in the Maui Invitational beating Chaminade, woohoo, and losing to St. Mary's in Houston. They're now three and three and they look bad, but those three losses aren't bad losses per se. They just looked horrible in those losses. <laughs> um, they're on a different schedule and they actually don't play their two Pac-12 games until this upcoming weekend or next week. So they've got a couple more out-of-conference games before they get in to their Pac-12 slate. Oregon State went 0-2 at the Emerald Coast Classic, losing to Wake Forest and Penn State. They're now 1-6 on this young season. And you may recall, they just extended Wayne Tinkle through 2027. So they'll head to Cal and then host Arizona in their Pac-12 opening slate. So it might not get easier anytime soon for Oregon State. No MTE for Stanford. Until the end of December, they are 3-4 and four overall, and they lost to Colorado uh, in the opener of Pac-12 play on Sunday. They host Oregon now in their other Pac-12 opener. Like I said, that's a little bit of ways away. UCLA went 1-1 one one in the Empire Classic in Las Vegas. They beat Bellarmine and then they got roughed up against Gonzaga. They did bounce back with a road win at UNLV on Saturday night, and they now host Colorado and travel to Washington for their two Pac-12 openers. Speaking of Washington, they went two and one in the crossover classic. This was a bit of a surprise given how the Huskies were playing. They beat George Mason, who had just beaten Maryland on the road, and then they beat South Dakota State before losing to Nevada. And then they just lost to Winthrop at home. So they're four and four. And they head to Arizona and then host UCLA and then travel to Gonzaga. So that is a bit of a stretch there for Mike Hopkins and the Huskies. Washington State hosted its own MTE to start the season. We talked about that, so there's nothing to report there. But the Cougars did drop a home game to Eastern Washington to fall to five and one. They now travel to Arizona State and host USC. So we're going to find a lot out about the Cougars here really, really quickly. And like I said, in the preseason, this is a team that's got very little margin for error. They've got to make some hay in their Pac-12 games. Now, if you're wondering about next year's MTEs, oh, just me? Okay. The Pac-12 currently has eight teams committed to MTEs. Utah is still on the hunt. For their MTE, there's plenty of good ones still out there, some good fits. Hopefully that gets done sooner rather than later so that they can start to build their schedule around it. I would imagine it is another four-teamer with a campus game, so we'll keep an eye out for that. And we'll just have to see what uh, Craig Smith and Eric Peterson can round up in terms of next year's MTE. Okay, on to the USC Trojans on Wednesday night. Here are five things that you need to know about USC. Number five, USC comes into this game 6-0, ranked 20th in the AP poll, and they are ranked 12th in the Ken Palm ranking. So this is another tough game for the Utes back-to-back with BYU. Number four, they've played two true road games at Temple and at Florida Gulf Coast, and then they just beat St. Joe's and San Diego State to capture the Wooden Legacy title. So this is a... Champion versus champion, Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior type of matchup here in the opener of the Pac-12 for both teams. Number three, USC averages 43.7 rebounds per game, which is good for 15th in the nation. Utah's about 43.5 after Saturday night, which is good for about 17th in the nation. So this will be another game where rebounding will be a key that influences the outcome. Number two. USC has got some solid depth. They've got eight guys right now that are averaging double-digit minutes per game. And as I mentioned, it's not like they're playing slouches. It's not like they're just getting guys' minutes. So that's going to be a big test for Utah. And then they've got one more guy that's close to double-digit minutes at 9.3 per game. And then number one, they lost Evan Mobley, but they returned his brother Isaiah as well as Drew Peterson Ethan Anderson and Isaiah White from last year's team. They also brought in Memphis transfer Boogie Ellis, who leads the team in scoring. So who then is the head of the snake? I know that you guys are always dying to know who the head of the snake is for Utah's opponents. This is a tough one because you could go with Mobley or Ellis, but I think for this game, we're going to go with Isaiah Mobley. As the head of the snake, especially given how Utah struggled with a guy like Gavin Baxter, who isn't nearly as good as Mobley, Mobley's averaging 12 points and 9 boards per game and is really going to test the Utes' already thin front court. What do the metrics guys have to say about this one? Well, Ken Palm rates this as an A game for Utah on the road, so that's going to make it a Q1 game for the running Utes when the net rankings come out He's got this as a 73-63 win for the Trojans, and Eric Haslam of Haslam Metrics has USC getting a 72-65 victory over the running youth. So both of them are right in about the same place in terms of what they think will happen. So what are the keys for this game? We talked about this in some of the things I didn't like from the BYU game you got to get more from Booth Gotch and David Jenkins. These two went a combined 3-for-17 against BYU, and they are two of the more athletic guys on this team. You've got to show that against USC. You need to help Brandon Carlson. It's pretty clear that Brandon Carlson is one of, if not the, focal point of this offense, and you're going to see more double and triple teams on him reaching in, trying to take the ball away. We saw BYU do that. We saw Abilene Christian do that. Tulsa, Boston College as well. But when those guys rotate to help Brandon Carlson, you've got to help him out. You've got to make a cut to the basket. He's a guy that can pass out of the post. He's a good passer out of the post. He told me on the episode when he came on this podcast that that's one of the things he really, really worked on. You've got to help Brandon Carlson out and not leave him in some tough spots. If Marco Anthony can't go, Raleigh Wooster is going to draw that Boogie Ellis defensive assignment, I suspect, So Utah is going to need another solid performance on the defensive end from Raleigh Wooster. You've got to reduce the number of wide-open looks or easy layups. BYU got a ton of these in the second half, and it really was the difference in this game. It's not enough to guard. You've got to make sure that you're not giving them anything easy, especially—and this is going to be something to watch in this game—especially with a guy like Drew Peterson— who is shooting just 11% from beyond the arc. He's a career 40% or close to 40% three-point shooter. You do not want this to be his get-right game. You've got to defend and avoid open looks and easy shots. They need to get quality minutes from the bench. USC has got some good size and athleticism, and you're just not going to be able to play six guys against them and expect to compete. Guys like Lahat Choon, Jackson Brenchley, Eli Ballstadt, I mentioned them already. They're going to have to give you something, and laser is going to have to continue to play well. He's a guy that can get you easy buckets. He's clever. He's crafty. He's shifty. He knows how to back cut. Got to get some quality minutes from the bench. It's time. These guys got to step up. You've got to keep the rebounding close. Now, I'm not saying you've got to win the rebounding battle, but you've got to keep it within five or so. Because you've got to limit USC's second chance points. This is where a guy like Riley Batten or Lahat needs to step up when he's in the game. Obviously, we need that out of Brandon Carlson, but we're getting a lot out of Brandon Carlson on the offensive end as well. So a guy like Riley Batten, a guy like Lahat Chun, they've got to get in there and scrap and fight and really work for those rebounds. Finally, you got to keep it ugly. You don't have as much depth as USC, You know they like to run. You know they can run. This is going to be one of those games where you've got to limit their possessions and their second chances, slow it down, try to play high IQ basketball, and have it close under the four-minute mark. And if you can do that, you've got a shot. It's a big-time opportunity to get a Q1 win for the Utes. This is just as important, resume-wise, as the BYU game that they just played. Now, one last thing to consider about this game before we get out of here, which could be a big-time big time detriment to Utah. If Lincoln Riley is in the house, there may just be a little bit more juice in the building for the Utes to overcome. And I would imagine that he will be there because this is going to be his first opportunity to really get in front of those Trojan fans, get them fired up, get them ready to go for whatever's next in their football program and in their football season. And so that's just a, a data point that you won't see showing up anywhere. But there could be a little bit more buzz in the building, a little bit more people in the building for this USC-Utah Pac-12 opener. And if Lincoln Riley's there, that's going to just be one more thing that Craig Smith and his staff are going to have to overcome. All right, well, that is going to do it for this episode. Remember to give us a follow on Twitter, at Runnin' Hoops, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, wherever you can get a podcast. Hit me up if you want to sponsor us or just give feedback in general, topics you want to hear talked about on the podcast, whatever you got. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew Crowley. This is the Roman Moves Podcast. As always, Go use.